Hello, Alex Zane here. Thank you for choosing to listen to Just The Facts. And while you can still enjoy these episodes forever, you might want to check out our brand new show, A Trip To The Movies, where each week a different famous film fan curates their perfect night out at the cinema, picking what snacks they'd eat, where they'd sit, who they'd go with, and of course, what movies they'd screen. If you love cinema as much as we do, search A Trip to the Movies with Alex Zane or head to our socials at Trip to Movies Pod. That's at Trip to Movies Pod to find out more. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Alex Zane. Welcome to Just The Facts, episode one. Thank you for joining me for our very first episode, our very first conversation about cinema. We're kicking off the pod with a fantastic guest who is coming up in about 30 seconds time. Very quickly, just before I introduce him, here is how you can get in touch with us. Should you wish to get in touch with us, we are at Just The Facts. On Twitter, it's JTFpod, at JTFpod, and also on Instagram, again, at JTFpod. Give us a follow. And be the first to get all the latest news on our upcoming guests and some behind-the-scenes extras. Also, if you haven't done already, please do subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. Right then, on with the show. My guest today is an actor, writer, and director whose incredible career spans six decades and involves everything from Bugsy Malone to Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels to Bohemian Rhapsody to Rocketman to his upcoming project. Bringing the making of The Godfather to life in TV series The Offer. He's an absolute legend. He is Dexter Fletcher. It's great to have you here, though. Great to be here, my friend. Because do you know what I was trying to work out before we did this today? Because we've seen each other so often over the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. And I was like, when did we first meet? Now it's not a test. I'm not testing. No, no. I'm I'm, I'm wandering back through my my uh, Alex Zane um, catalogue of memories. That's nice that you have one. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It was 2009 on the set of Hotel Babylon. 
and it took me. You were a while. in it, weren't you? Yes, you were in it. I had a walk-on part. And That's right. Two thousand and nine, it was a walk-on part, and I was because I'm not an actor. So I was absolutely terrified. But you were that day. By <laughs> God, you were that day. Only because you were so nice to me. <laughs> you were really nice to me. I think you could tell that I was nervous and you were really nice to me. Oh, good. And so I thought, what would be hilarious? I do remember you being there. What was the, I don't know what the episode was about because there were so many of them. Do you know why you might not remember it? Because I thought what would be funny is I'll rewatch that episode. I'll find it online, rewatch yeah. it for this. Yeah. And, um, and I did. And uh, I didn't make the final cut. <laughs> Oh, you're not in it. <laughs> no, ended up on the editing floor. Yeah, that would have been me. I would like cut him out. He's obviously nervous. We don't need that kind of energy. Um, I, don't, I remember you being there, though. Yeah, I do remember you coming in. I can't remember what it was about. There was various silly, silly things that happened in that, yeah. that make-believe hotel, which was in an old warehouse yeah. in Aylesbury. Mm. It's a long time ago. That's a. That's a. It really, is. We're going back really a long time. A ago. long time ago. But what's but I always see, enjoy seeing you there because you know you're you're the go-to guy when it gets to those premieres and all of those things and. Mm. You know, and people re- react to you well. So it's always good to see you, what you standing on top of a plinth with the, with the name of something huge written behind you. <laughs> yeah. Look, looking all sharp and dandy. Thanks, man. <laughs> yeah, they're fun. They're fun, those premieres. But this is much better. And that's why I wanted to do it in person, because I remember going, oh, we, we need to do this in person, which mm. is why I was I'm so glad that you made it down, because you're, you're leaving soon, aren't you? I am. I go uh, in, yes, less than two weeks it will be now. It's just a matter of, of getting um, uh, visas mm. and, and and stuff like that and jabs arranged mm. and then, yeah, and houses set up and all that kind of housekeeping that needs to be done. So this is LA, right? This, this is Los Angeles. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I, I'll go there. I, I think it's going to be the best part of a year, to be honest. Wow. I, I mean, nine, eight, nine months probably. That's crazy. I would imagine. Have you spent a lot of time there? Um, I have in, but like 20 odd years ago Mm. when before, just after Lockstock, which is 97, um, we all went out there for the release of Lockstock and, um, we had a bit of a moment there. It wasn't like it was in in London or or the UK because Lockstock just sort of did something extraordinary that we weren't. We weren't in any way, shape, or form prepared for, and then we went to LA, and that's when Guy would start getting phone calls from Brad Pitt and all of that and all that sort of stuff. But so we had a bit of a moment out there in LA, and then me and my wife decided, like, okay, let's just hang out here for a while. And I didn't have any visa or green card or anything like that, but we did. We just rented a place and just sort of gave it a go for a year there. And I didn't actually get any work. I went and met plenty of people and and kind of learned what was going on out there, which was a good experience. But we had no money, and and um, I didn't even have. A visa i couldn't really even work but and we'd have to come home every six three months or oh, whatever yeah. it was and yeah. you know that sort of stuff but um it all sort of works but we lived there and then i and then i got a, i got a band of brothers which was 2000 then i got and we were just sort of moving out there again permanently more permanently i don't know why we decided we were just giving it a go there and um, still without a visa mm-hmm. and literally we packed up our home in in london we had a little flat and and moved everything out there and and uh, that week I got the part in Band of Brothers which was eight nine months back in the UK so <laughs> then I rushed back to the UK and literally got off the plane and went straight to boot camp which uh, yeah was was another thing so then I went and, and yeah so I, I'd been there but I'd I'd I've been spent time there but I've never worked there 
So this is like this is kind of like a glorious return now because you're going back for something big. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a big it's a big, a big undertaking. It's yeah. well, I mean, it sounds exciting. So this this is the offer. Mm-hmm. This is a limited series for Paramount. Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus going to be their tent pole. Yeah. you know, streaming service. You're not no one without a streaming service. Now. Well, apparently not. Yes, yeah. And it's um it's a dramatic recreation of the making of the Godfather. Mm-hmm. Wow. So this is... <laughs> Why would you say it like that? <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, exactly what it is, yeah. I mean, for a movie that it's not short of stories behind the no, scenes. No, it's really not. And this is this is the guy who produced it. So from what I've heard, because the information out there is limited at the moment. Is it? Yeah, I mean... Oh, but there is information out there. There is, yeah. Okay. The Hollywood Reporter did an exclusive little bit yeah. about it, saying it's about uh, Al Ruddy, mm-hmm. the producer of The Godfather, legend in Hollywood. It's never before heard stories about what went on behind the scenes. Well, I mean, that's that's it in a nutshell. I mean, I suppose that's a good summation of it. Yeah, he's still alive, 90... 90 plus 91 I think 91 yeah. he's, still, he's still producing he's just produced Clint Eastwood's last movie because mm. him and Clint are old old yeah, friends I think he won an Oscar for Million Dollar Baby or that's right yeah. that's right yeah yeah. so they go way back mm. but he and also Clint gave him his Academy Award for The Godfather back yeah. in 1972 as yeah. well and there's a story that Al I've spoken to Al a few times now, Mr. Ruddy. <laughs> I said, like, because he's proper old Hollywood. He's the real deal, man. He's he's genius. He's brilliant. And he's sharp as a tack, and he knows exactly how it Because he first time he goes, I spoke to him, he said, no. he's got this really deep voice, and he's like, this is like, okay, kid. He said, I've seen this Bohemian movie. I, I, that was that was amazing what you did with the Bohemian movie. That was, <laughs> he said, uh, what did you do on that movie? And I said, well, you know, Al, I, I, you know, I, it, it, was, it was sort of, Near the end, last four, three, four weeks, I came in and, you know, they'd done a lot of the work and I sort of helped them pull it together and did the edit. He said, oh, my God, kid. He said, you just you just scored 100 points with me, but you, you're too fucking nice. <laughs> you're too nice. He said, if it was an American, we would be going, I fucking saved that thing. It was an absolute disaster. And it was, they were fucked without me. And I came and I saved everybody and I turned it around. He said, but no, you, you're too fucking nice. He goes, you're fucked in Hollywood. But I really like you. <laughs> Okay, so okay, and then and then he goes to me. Okay, kid, said uh, when when you get here, I'm gonna get an office right next door to you, and we're gonna work side by side. And I went, uh, okay. And they went, nah, I'm just fucking with you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and then the conversation moves on a bit more, and he goes, to, he goes, anyway, when you get here, I'm gonna sit down, we're gonna do some casting. It's gonna be, you know, I got some great ideas. I was like. Uh, he's like, no, I'm fucking with you again. <laughs> so he just fucks with you, but he get so he gets it. He knows. He's like, no, you do what you got to do. I'll just be if you want to ask me anything, you know, you you just ask me. So, and then, yeah, the other thing goes. I just made a movie with Clint Eastwood. I call him the kid because he's three weeks younger than me. <laughs> so, okay, so yeah, anyway. So you know, he's an incredible man. But he did do. I mean, the thing is, he's someone in the late '60s, '70s who loved movies who loved uh, you know uh, tv and writing and he worked at a, a very sort of uh he was an architect mm. and worked at this very dry place called the rand corporation which which uh, uh sort of did um computer stuff you know early days of programming and um and then sort of just followed his passion and created and ended, ended up by a, an extraordinary set of circumstances all of his own making to be quite mm. honest 
producing The Godfather. Yeah, because uh, they, they brought him in. They brought him in. Mm. Paramount brought him in because they were like, look, we, we want to make sure you know Francis Ford Coppola is produced properly because they weren't sure about him at, at this point. It's like, no, Coppola, yeah, Coppola had won an Academy Award for Patton, mm. which was good, but he his films were not deemed, you know, Rain People and, and, and stuff like that were not deemed to be... You know, particularly commercial, and and they suddenly realised they had one of the most commercial properties mm-hmm. around. So, uh, yeah, they brought in Al Ruddy, who was their low budget expert at that point, mm-hmm. and he, he, yeah, he just, yeah, he kind of drove it forward. I mean, I, you know, it's 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 difficult because there are many many stories, but. Uh, I feel like I'm giving away all of the gold. Yeah, exactly. Because I'm sitting here going, I did, I, I, you know, I know so many stories, but you want to see them because you're putting, yeah. like, people might not know these stories. That's the thing. When you work yeah. in the industry, like, obviously, sure. you get fascinated yeah, by yeah, yeah. the making of these things. But I want to, I want to see people watching the offer cold. Yeah, yeah. So, I, actually, so do I. I mean, but at the same time, the other thing is the stories are so good and and what he did and how he did it and what they all did and who they were, Bob Evans and, mm. and Coppola and Puzo and, and and Pacino and Brando and Redford's in it and, uh, you know, Khan, um, James Khan. I mean, they're all in it for a greater or lesser degree and they all played the very key and important parts. Um uh, and collectively, as it's it's a good ten hours. It's good. It's it's um, they're amazing the scripts because I was like, this is. I read the first two. I was like, man, this is so good. <laughs> and so then I said, is there any more I can read? And and they, you know, they all started. They started trickling them out to me, and they're yeah, extraordinary because it's like you say, you know the era, you know the film, you know what's wrapped around it, but then to see all these people come alive who created it. Mm. You know, they didn't want to cast Brando. They didn't. Pacino was an unknown. You know, it's not the way it's done. And 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 Coppola was a risk. And um, you know, and the book was a bestseller. There was a lot riding on it. And their other studios wanted to buy it for a lot of money. And it, there's endless sort of things that that could have derailed it and and sort of did. And then of course there's other involvements from the people in New York, which is another really interesting side of the story that is really not known. Which is you know there's five families in New York and and they took an interest. Mm. And and I don't want to say too much about that because that really is the part of the story that is really extraordinary. Yeah, I know the I know the bit, and I, that, that the expression on my face is like, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. that's nuts what happened yeah. there. It really is. But like you say, less said the better because people people a lot of people are going to be seeing this for the first time. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's the hope. I mean, I think this is the great thing that you know I'm excited about as as a as a filmmaker uh, um, that. It's going to be so. It's it's fifty years next year of the release of the film. Mm. It it's the anniversary of that. It it's it's really to celebrate and and you know highlight that um, this incredible film because you, you don't often meet many people who don't like The Godfather. <laughs> yeah, it was all right. Yeah. The Godfather is overrated. You don't you don't come across many of those. Yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. I think anyone who's seen it, oh yeah, it's one of the great and great films appearing in that whole film that whole period of film that was coming out of Paramount and all the studios then, it was a massive sea change. You know, there, there was, you know, BE making Bonnie and Clyde and then Schrader and, uh, uh, you know, Peck and Parr and Bogdanovich and, you know, Polanski. There's all these incredible filmmakers came out of that era and Coppola and they changed how film was seen, how acting was approached and, and, and uh, you know, 
cameras just simply weren't locked off anymore. Two shot, you know, <laughs> close up to each side and a wide, and then boom, off we go. It suddenly the camera became something that moved and breathed. And I mean, of course, that's why everyone goes about Citizen Kane because he moved the camera. <clears throat> suddenly, it was doing things. But these, but this is a seminal moment, really, in 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 film history. And I mean, obviously, you know, Coppola. Legend, yeah. yeah. You know, you're directing the making of the Godfather yes. series. Yes. One of the people that might take an interest in watching that is Francis Ford Coppola. Uh, presumably, yeah. Have you thought about that? What does that feel like? Going, shit. So Coppola might be watching my reimagining of the events that he was involved in. This is the guy who directed the God. This is Francis Ford Coppola. Yeah. Yeah, the guy who directed. <laughs> It's now and Godfather one. Um, yeah, look, I mean, I'm glad you brought. Sorry, swimming. No, no, I do. Of course, I do, and I have to be excited by that. I have to be, of course, and I have. To, I am, of course, I am. There's, but I mean, it was one of the first things that came to mind when they said, "Look, do you this is you want to direct?" Oh, you know, we're working on the, the Saint for a long time with Paramount, trying to get that going and there was various issues that it hit along the way covid kind of derailed it and and then script issues became more apparent and and you know when something's in development it 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 can so is that become bit, complicated well, is that on the back burner then yeah that's that's a good yeah that's a good way of saying it i think it is we kind of we we sort of sat down had a serious talk about it and said you know this is so important and it's we want to start a franchise and we uh, we can't rush into it and i didn't want to do that and neither did the studio this is nice it is it's a sensible move because we were right up to it and i think you know the button was about to be pushed and it's a big button mm. and and um of course you make the best of it that you can but you don't want to be making the best of something if you don't think it can be better mm. And, you know, by going, all right, are we prudent and go, let's take a beat? Why do we, you know, why leap blindly? Mm. Um, and it wasn't an easy decision on any 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 behalf. You know, n none of us all went, okay, yeah, fine, we'll just do it later. <laughs> it was somewhat more protracted and painful than that. And because a lot of work and and money and effort and, and uh, great people's time and energy and, and has got into it. Um, so I was, I was, I took that hard, as you do. You know, that happens. It is part of the... Of course, because the effort you put into something then translates into how bad you feel when it doesn't happen for whatever reason. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, there's a sense of, did I, could I have done more? And should I have done this? And all of those mm. questions that, you know, you lay at night looking at the ceiling, sort of, sort of, why didn't... Um, yeah, the night terrors when you wake yeah. up at like three in the morning and like it's for, for whatever reason you like just want to go back to sleep and it's like why don't I pick this moment as your brain <laughs> to force you to deal with all this shit yeah yeah all that right stuff, now all that stuff that you really have pushed to the back of your mind <laughs> to get you through. yeah exactly but you no know, look it is part of uh, uh, of the price if you like because the rewards can be great but they're, they're, there's always it always comes at a, a, a kind of cost yeah but I mean like the offer I mean it's it's crazy because I think this is the first TV you've directed and mm. it, I guess years ago there'd be that stigma of like moving from film into TV but not anymore I mean like it's no. crazy the budgets that like TV yeah, shows yeah, have yeah. you're talking like 15 million dollars an episode for like Game of Thrones and The Crown is that how much they spend an episode an episode 15 Millionaire. 15, yeah. 15. Oh, 15. 15. Right, right. Sorry, 15. Hang on a minute. I said 50. <laughs> no. What? No. Oh, definitely in the wrong game. Give it a no, matter of time. I remember Brothers was 14 mm. at the time. Yeah, that's one of the most expensive ever made. Yeah, I think. that yeah. was 14 at the time. That's 20 years ago. Mm. 
And I remember finding that about halfway through and having to lay down in a dark room. No, but, <laughs> but yeah, but look, it shows, doesn't it? And, and, you know, 20 years later, that's still as watchable as it was. We don't have quite as much as that on, on the offer, mm. but I'm determined to make it look like we do. Well, that's a really interesting thing because, you know, like you're going to have a sizable budget. Take you back to Wild Bill, mm. a feature film, less than a million? Oh, God, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, 600,000. 600,000 for your first feature. Yeah. And, yeah. Like, and now you, you, it's like, that's, you know, 15 million an episode for a TV show. Yeah, well, no, I'm not quite there, but, but I take your point. Yeah, no, uh, but look, I remember at the time I was like, 600 grand, that's great. <laughs> because I went and saw some mate of mine, uh, uh, mates of mine around that time who'd made a film called Shifty. Great director. Oh, yeah. He ran Creevy. Yeah. And Ben Pugh, his producer. Yeah, I met him on his follow-up, Welcome to the Punch. Right. Yeah. Great film. Mm. Great. He's a good writer. He's a fantastic writer. Uh, great filmmaker. But I, I remember going to see that film because uh, my mate Jason Fleming was in that and he was mates with Creevy and uh, Rani. And uh, I was like, damn, this is really good. Danny Mays, Riz. Really great. And, you know, it was obviously... And, and so... When it started going around, I went and sat with the producer and said, what, you know, what was part of the key parts of your process that helped you get there? What was, you know, give me, because I'm thinking of doing this low-budget film. And he told me they'd made it for like 100 grand. Jeez. It might have even been 10. And maybe I'm completely... It wasn't as much as I had certainly had for Bill. Hmm. Um, because for Bill... Uh, the producer, you know, there was a Lockstock connection. I had Fleming in it, and then Andy Circus agreed, and Will Poulter was just sort of popping out. What a piece of casting! That yeah, was. exactly. Will was amazing, and and then Charlie's had his, you know, his Charlie Creed Miles had been there, but then there was Jamie Winston was in it, and she was really hot smoking out of uh, adult kidhood, and um, uh, and then um. Olivia Williams as well came on, but yeah, Sean Pert was like playing a one scene as a policeman. I mean, it was I like love I, I called in every favour that I could, and mm. and it just bolstered it, allowed it to feel like it was a, a marketable mm. product, uh, which is what get, that's how, how they gauge it. So I thought I got a lot of money, six hundred grand's a lot of money, and I got the, this great DOP who, who who was looking to you know camera operators looking to make the step up. So it. Yeah, it, it really sort of punched above its weight in a lot of ways, really. And did Wild Bill go straight into Sunshine on Leith? Was that like, you finish Wild um, Bill and then that lands in your lap? Because you know how much I love Sunshine on Leith. I, I don't think, you know, I, around that time there was a more feel-good film. That was just an incredible, like a real hit of pure, like, mm -hmm. happiness mm -hmm. in a movie. Great, yeah. Well, yeah I, um, uh, it didn't come immediately. I mean, Bill, Bill took a bit of time to find. It, there was, there was a few because we made it and it didn't have a distribution. It didn't have distribution, um, and people liked it, and we shopped it around, and we did those screenings where you get a whole bunch of people in a theatre and you screen it, and they all sort of um and ah and scratch their heads, and you know, <laughs> will they, won't they? And you go for long dinners. <laughs> They'll, you know, oh, buy man. it. It's really, uh, and there was a, there was a small distribution company who were really into it, and then Universal just turned up and went, "We want it, bomb!" And just, and then, but that was about sort of a year in, and then once that happened, it it sort of it everything changed. Mm. You know, it, it took on a different dynamic because they wanted to, excuse me, get a theatrical release because they thought we should go to the Baftas, which it did, which was all fantastic. But but um, then when it got out, then people saw Wild Bill and Andrew McDonald. Uh, who, who produced Sunshine on Leith, Train Spotting, and 
uh, 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 28 Days Later. He 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 had Sunshine on Leith. He's a Scot and was like, and there was someone who works in his office, Leah, who kind of was looking around at stuff and she'd spotted Wild Bill and put it in front of him. And and so it didn't come immediately, but I I I gauged with it because I was like, oh, that should be what I should do because it'd be totally different from from Bill. Because the thing is, you know, you make your first. They say you making your first film is kind of easier in a way than making your second because right. the first one you can make it if it's no good, you don't really get to make the second one. But <laughs> but but fortunately, Bill got nominated for a BAFTA, so I was like, wow. And and some producer did say to me, he said. I said, what did you think? What did you think? He said, they're going to let you do it again. I was like, ah, oh, okay. That was, <laughs> you was do like, it oh, again. Yeah, they're <laughs> going to let you make another. It wasn't phrase. like, they're going to let you do it again. I was like, okay. So, and then, and then, uh, and then Sunshine came and it was my wife who went, do the musical. I was like, really? Wow. Why? Do what, the musical. What was her thinking? Because it was different. Right. And, and, and if I was then going to get another opportunity, which uh, uh, could we, you know, considered to be rare and special with someone like Andrew McDonald and and and, and Alon uh, at DNA Films, that was an incredible opportunity rather than Foot Soldier 7 or, 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 or I don't know, uh, I'm a Boot Boy 9 or, 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 or you know, Lock Stock Minus 6. Or right. Whatever. Yeah, whatever. right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Look, those films are perfect. Lock Stock, the beginning. Yeah, Lock Stock, yeah, the early days. <laughs> we want to see where they all yeah. were as teenagers. The kindergarten years. <laughs> That's my lolly. Oh, it's your lolly, is it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, and it was different. And my wife... I mean, not that it was really related. She works in opera. She's an opera producer and, and theatre, and she has her own company in, in Lithuania. And, and so there was a musical connection. But I don't think that was why she was doing it. It's just like, this is so different mm. from everything else. And if you want to show that you can do stuff, and, I'd, and I've never spent any time in Scotland. I knew some Proclaimers songs. I didn't know a lot of them. I, you know, I knew... You but know. You, you, you knew... Um... I'm going to be. I, I mean, know I'm going to be. And, I mean, uh, yeah. having that in your arsenal, making making a making a musical film, and going right. What is the what's the last song that's going to walk the audience yeah. out of the auditorium? Yeah, it's exactly. going to be the Proclaimers. Yeah. I'm going to be. You yeah. at that point, you're like, oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> right. We might be onto something. Yeah, we're good. Yeah, we're good. How do you how do you make sure people leave with a smile on their f that song? Just play that song. Yeah. <laughs> well, I did. We did do that, and there was a different ending shot in the original body of the shoot. There was a different ending shot, and what I what I want, went for is I finally broke the fourth wall and the, uh, she's a nurse in it. Well, the lead character's a nurse in it. Antonio Thomas is a nurse and, and the guy who's in love with her goes to the hospital to find her and finds her in the, in the hospital and they have this very magic moment and then they just start singing the song together to the camera and then all the patients joined in and then everyone else and all the other characters turned up and this, I sort of, this is what was kind of originally scripted and, and was so in, instead of the one outside like, yeah. on the streets of Edinburgh this yeah is, okay and so this was the original I might be on the DVD extras I don't know it's great fun George Mackay is brilliant Antonia's just amazing as always incredible singing voice great actor she is and and they really made it work but it's different and I just had like people with kids with like pots stuck on their head you know like used to read in a bean I was like what's that kid got his head <laughs> stuck, street stuck, yeah he's got a block pot <laughs> on his head or a bloke with a crutch and you know people in in uh, in gowns and stuff and it was fun but it was in a cramped little corridor and we we got the film we watched it and and the money guy was like it's, yeah it's good it's good but it just feels like it needs to be bigger so then I went away and I thought about it and I was like okay well if you were going to give me any more money <laughs> I would want to do this <laughs> And, and that's because I obviously spent time in Edinburgh. I had seen the square there. I knew it, and and I thought about it a lot. 
and um and and I just saw yeah I just played my hand and they went okay go do it and so they gave me another couple of days and I then got together with a choreographer friend Arthur Peter and um who lives not far from here and um and we we kind of yeah assembled that outdoor uh, ending with, with lots, you know, as many extras as I could get. I said, I need like 500 people. And what was the great thing is that people walking by, the choreography is actually very basic. They just joined in because it looked like so much fun. And it's the proclaimers. It's the proclaimers. <laughs> I'm going to be. It's yeah. And, and, it's, it's honestly, it goes yeah. off and people like zombies are, where's yeah, yeah, the song coming yeah, yeah, from? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me do Drawn this. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and so anyway, I was just lucky that, you know, you kind of, um, uh, but the same thing happened with Rocket Man. There was an ending that wasn't working. And, was. And, and, Oh, uh, well, originally the film ended of him just going through the doors into a bright light at the corridor. And uh-huh. he, he walks up that corridor and sings. And um, my original idea was it would then go into the original video of I'm Still Standing to connect yeah. the real Elton to our fantasy Elton. Uh-huh. And uh, and after watching it, the studio and several producers and all of that, it's like, yeah, there could be more. It's got to be something big. And I was like, it's got to be spectacular. We could do spectacular ending. I would like to restage the I'm Still Standing video, but make it even more grand, you know, kind of have him sort of come up through from the sea, out of the sea on the piano and all the dancers dance on the water, you know, kind of in theme with the whole kind of, and I'm like, oh, my God, that sounds a little bit dear. <laughs> like, well, you know. And so then another idea came where he's at a concert and he walks on people's hands. Um, and, 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 and eventually I said, I don't know if, you know, look, Bohemian Rhapsody ends with a big concert. I think we might be in a bit of trouble if we try and end at a big concert right. as well. Right, right, right. Um, and you don't want to be repeating, like, you know, a not movie if that I can help it. you no. were involved in. I, yeah, and I understand what the success of that film really is as well. I think people love that moment after everything that's gone. Yeah, I mean, the high point, you know, it is obviously Live Aid and the recreation yeah. of that. Mm. I mean, what's interesting is you had Rocket Man, like, you had Rocket Man lined up and, and ready to go when you joined. Yeah. Bohemian yeah. Rhapsody. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, we'll talk about your relationship with actors because, you know, it's tremendous, like, you know, your relationship with Taron. But it was Rami who was one of the people who called you up going, can you get on this movie? Yeah, it was. And I didn't know him. I didn't know him. Uh, and I did. I had been attached to the project in another iteration a couple of years before uh, when it was at a different studio. And and that almost got going and then didn't mm. for script reasons and other reasons, you know, and, and uh, which was very difficult because I'd worked a long time on that. But um, just, uh, that's crazy. Was that hard then? Like how going back to something that you'd walked away from because you couldn't like make it work creatively with what you wanted to do and, and, yeah. then, and then returning to it later? It, it was. I mean, I don't know if there was a certain sense of schadenfreude, if that's the right word, <laughs> yeah. you know, of kind of of like, because, you know, you, you come away eventually go, oh, God, it was me. And eventually you go, no, no, it wasn't me. Fuck them. They never got it together. I did my thing. I was, it was great. You know, I was, I, it was great. They couldn't make it work. At that point, you're sleeping like a baby. Yeah, yeah. yeah great. <laughs> you're onto something else. Um, but uh, the producers of it, Graham King, uh, and, and it, uh, his right-hand man, guy Dennis O'Sullivan, who, was, who I'd first met in Toronto when Sunshine and Leith had gone to Toronto, and they came to me then and went, you should do the Bohemian Rhapsody movie. And I was like, that sounds great. Yeah, I'd love to do that. Um, uh, so I knew those guys. And I think when they started having issues for whatever reason, um, my name was one of the first on the list of like, okay, who could pick up the ball while it's it's running? Uh, because I, 
I, I went in a relationship with with the band with 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 Roger and Brian because of my involvement before we got very close to doing it. So they knew me and obviously it's important for them. Um, and I also had a relationship with the producers, the studio, I had a relationship because I just had Eddie, the Eagle come out and everyone was very happy about that. Lovely move. Like, great. It's gone down very well. Mm. So I was like, okay. And I shot it on time and under budget and all the stuff that I, you know, so they felt good about that. So it was, it was like a lot of circumstances all coming back sort of pointing towards the right thing. So I think I was just the name, the top name on a very short list who mm. could do it. And and I was familiar with the material. Although it was a different script, I still knew the material, you know. And and it was literally like on a Thursday, are you interested in this? And I went to Matt Vaughan, who's producing Rocket Man. In fact, he brokered it, is the truth be known. Matt Vaughan said, look, I've had a call from the Fox who are our studio mm. and they're in trouble what would you think about it? I said, well, what do you think about it? Because I'm actually preparing rock. <laughs> he said, well, it might be interesting to see what they're doing. <laughs> right? Because there's a certain crossover. So, oh, right, I get clever. you. He's a clever He's man. He's a clever, clever man. He's a clever man. And I said, okay. I said, but it's going to take me out for three or four weeks. And he's like, look, we're, we're far enough out. You know, it won't hurt us. You know, it's our studio. And I said, okay, all right. I'm up for it. I'll go and meet them. And so they, so I met Graham King and Dennis, and 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 uh, and they said, um, look, Rami would love to sit down and we talk about it. I said, all right. And they said, but look, you 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 got to start on Monday. I said, okay, well let me see it. And they said, no, no, you can't see it. We just we need you to answer yes or no now. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Can you show me anything? Yeah, exactly. No, and they no. said, well, if you agree, we'll show you all of what we got. But not until you agree wow. to do it. So protected. That's a film industry. It was. And I got to say more power to him. Matt Vaughan went, I'll come with you and watch it as well. So I said, all right, yeah. And me and Matt Vaughan went and watched it. And Matt was like, huh. <laughs> I was, and it was because there was big gaps in it and there was some stuff in it. I was like, I don't get that. Mm. And there was some things that they'd kind of done. I was like, and, and it felt disjointed. Of course, it was a rough assembly of something that was halfway through being made. And Matt was like, well, look, it's your call. He said, there's something there. There's a there there, uh, but uh, we got Rocket Man, and then he started going. I was like, no, it's all right, I can do it. <laughs> he flipped roles. He's he, like, no, going, actually, wait, no, yeah, Rocket no, wait, Man. Yeah, <laughs> I said, well, I've kind of committed myself. No, he, he was no, he was he was brilliantly supportive. He was. I I, I it's credit where it's due, and um, and so he did it, and he sort of shrugged his shoulders, and I said, okay, right, I mean, I'm doing it, and um, and I did. I started on the Monday, but I went and sat with Rami. I think like the Saturday night for dinner. And he was super electrified by it. And I, I think he'd seen Eddie maybe and he knew me because uh, um, there's a lot of Brits in it. And, I, you know, people know me and, and they go, oh, yeah, Dex is cool. Well, whatever they say. You know, whatever. And they said the right thing, whatever they said. <laughs> uh, and he was excited. Um, and, yeah, we, and, I, and, I, and I said, okay, I, we're going to do a bit of rehearsal first before we do anything. So I, I, I got a couple of extra days and I did some rehearsals with him and the band and, and Lucy. And because they were the scenes that were coming up, it was really, it was really the, the heart of the relationship was coming up with him, him and Lucy, him and Mary. Ready. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. 
For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. And Mary. Oh, yeah. I, I got to that with them and we kind of just, and then I just, you know, and I know that they'd had trouble getting going because the first AD was the first AD who did Eddie the Eagle with me he was a mate and I was like how's it going there and he's like we don't seem to get started until about one o'clock and I was like right fuck that <laughs> I'm going to be there at 7.30 every morning if we're not all on the set by eight and ready to rock and roll then there's something so I came in with this real sort of because the studio also said to me as well like look we're hemorrhaging money it's, you know we really need to get this thing going and I, so I was like right I'm your man and I, I you know I wanted to do good I wanted to you know drive. so I did I sort of drove it in a way that that I think everyone was like, oh, good, this is what we want. We want someone just to take the fucking reins and uh, uh, do that. I guess with that, you have to park your ego a little bit as well because you are sort of, it's like you're bringing you to it, but you are you can't bring too much of you because you've got to fit in with what the tone of the material that's already been shot is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, I I went with a very clear thought in my head to that. It's not my movie. Mm. It's It's... My predecessor's movie, I have to see, try and understand what it is that he was doing and make it to be part of that whole because I can't get to shoot the whole thing. They've shot eight to nine weeks already and spent many, many millions. And they, you know, and I, so there is a parking of an ego in one respect, but the other part of my ego is like, be really good. Yeah, of course. So that, my my ego is sated (laughs) in another respect, I suppose. I mean, do you think it should have been R rated? Was that one of the reasons that you couldn't make it work in the first place? Do you, I mean, it, it, it sounds like a loaded question because obviously it went on to make, you know, what, 900 million. So that that is, you could say, no, it shouldn't have been R-rated. Yeah. But in terms of the material. Well, it, yeah. I mean, look, no, you're right. Look, the numbers speak for what it is. Yeah. And, and and I think the difference between... I because Rocket Man does push that envelope more. We, we it it does, and 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 but the the difference is that Freddie 
is not around to defend himself. Mm. And and the only people who are making that film are people who loved him very dearly, who are still around, and have something that they they're def- they're they're not defending, but they're they're holding close a memory of someone they love. Whereas Elton goes like, "Darling, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> Whatever, I did it all. I did it all. Yeah, I did it all." And you're getting it from the horse's mouth. Yeah. You, there's no kind of there's nothing in between that and. The tr- what happened, you know, and then it's about how you interpret it. Of course, there's a very valid argument for you could have made Bohemian Rhapsody far darker than it was. Look, you know, the rock star lifestyle is is very well documented mm. to have its casualties, and and not that I think that Freddie was a casualty of the rock star lifestyle. Mm. He may he may have been. Not a victim's the wrong word. He's not a victim, but he may have. Fallen, you know, foul of yeah of, of a terrible, terrible disease yeah. But 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 and obviously there was excesses in it. You know that that's that's young people with success and money and that's 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 kind of what Rocket Man is about as well. Rocket Man is about how you lose your you have the ability to lose yourself within within that. And we've seen we've seen it. It's well documented. Many 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 rock stars yeah. do it very publicly. Um, uh, um, and there would be a very valid argument for making uh, a Baby in Rhapsody. R-rated, you could do it. It'd be it'd be great, but that's not what they wanted. No. Uh, they wanted to look at the memory of of, of someone in a, in a in a different way and in a way that it made it really accessible to Queen fans everywhere. Uh, yeah, of, of, yeah. of every and, of every age. Yeah, yeah. And of every you know, some people. I, I'm sure you know. The, like you say, the numbers speak for themselves. So a yeah, lot yeah. of people were very happy to see. I mean, I guess a slightly sanitized version of what that film could have been. I don't know. It's sanitized, I suppose, but it's it, it's it's only sanitizing like just didn't choose to show. Yeah. all of the picture. <laughs> yeah, you know. I mean, yeah. And and biopics, you know, they're this really gnarly thing. I've done three of them. Now. I was going to say that four, you, three of them. Three, you're very three. experienced in this area. Well, I'm getting to be. It's all right. It's okay. And, and but the truth is, it's why I realised on Eddie. Um, and it's it was important for me to understand is that there was it was this thing with the skis that Eddie Michael Edwards used to jump with in mm. 1980. Two, what I can't remember what it was now for. I'm sure I'm getting that. Wrong. Yeah, it's the, the Calgary. There was the it the Calgary, Calgary Olympics? Yeah, yeah. Whenever they were, I sports should remember. Fans. Yeah, whenever it was, <laughs> writing on a postcard to Alex Zane, <laughs> yeah. um, his house, this, his street, <laughs> London. I'll give out my address at the yeah. end of the show. Um, uh, that the particular skis that he wore then, everybody wore, are now completely illegal. Yeah. Technology's moved on. It's just illegal. And they don't even make them anymore. You you could probably buy them in some old antique shop, but they, they're completely impractical. They don't, but you can't have them. And I was like, they've got to be the right bindings on the skis. That's really important. And and they came to me several times and said, well, gee, look, it just can't be done. We If we're going to shoot any ski jumping, uh-huh. we have to use the modern lawful things you can't just stick illegal skis on people <laughs> and make them jump because they, they'll kill themselves right and if they hurt themselves that's it that's there's no insurance we're done so yeah so yeah you choose the right thing to do which is it's almost like you know but so yes so then i'm laid on i'm going and then i thought does it matter? Yeah, you're worrying about that minority that are going to go. Oh, actually, I'm sorry, but uh, those yes. bindings were completely yeah, yeah, yeah. incorrect completely for the Calgary incorrect. Games in 1980. Well, I know what the answer is. Yeah, and look, there are people there, and that's important to them. Yeah, but there, I, I went. 
oh, they're 0.0001% or whatever it is. And, and I have to just take the letters. I'll have to take the letters. And it's the same thing with Beeman Rhapsody. There's anachronisms and 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 timeline mistakes and yeah. people were there that weren't there and vice versa. There's a whole load of that stuff. The same in, well, Rocket Man, you get away with it because it's just his befuddled memory. Which is great because you said, I was, I was going to say about it, you said that up at the start, don't you, by going, hello, this is an unreliable narrator. It, it, yes, exactly. Yeah. None of what you're about to see <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. is really that reliable. Which yeah. is crazy because, like, you, I mean, I didn't know, but, you know, you're watching the Troubadour gig, uh, which is just a fantastic sequence in Rocket Man yeah. and you're like Crocodile Rock at the Troubadour and you're like never happened like he didn't play Crocodile Rock at the you Troubadour never written it. Yeah. and it wasn't even written it wasn't it's even a, written it's a back to the future moment yeah <laughs> I love that I've told you before I love that scene and I love the yeah. fact that uh, what was it Michael Stipe from REM like talks yeah. about um Talks about that sequence at the Troubadour and goes, what he did there, what you did, Dexter, was uh, completely capture what it feels like as a musician to have the audience in the palm of your hand. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, nice. I know. That's, like, I mean, that is, yeah, that, that's the things that you, you, uh, yeah, they're ama- that's amazing when you hear things like that. I mean, you know, I'm sure, yeah, it happens to plenty of filmmakers because, because you are, you're trying to communicate a story and you have this medium to do it and, and you go, what if everyone flies? What if everyone lifts off the ground for a moment? And, and people will sit in the meeting and they look at you and they sort of go, well, how can we do that? And, you know, then they're immediately, but, but it's really something that comes out of your mind and, and, and uh, you get the answers and you, you, you make it work. And um, uh, in that meeting, yeah. when you say, when you say, yeah, I've got this idea. And when people go, can we do that? Do you go, Yes, definitely. And then go away and go, so can we do that? Because I've just said yes, yeah, we can. Yeah. No, well, I mean, it's funny. One producer said to me, look, she said, you, look, <laughs> a little cop, but she said, look, the answer's always yes. <laughs> the answer's always yes, you could do it. But the big real question is like, how much does it cost? <laughs> <laughs> ah, right. Because you can do anything in theory. Yeah. Now, you know, as we've seen it, you know, fucking aliens come down and ride bicycles out of the back of spaceships or whatever. It's all possible. Uh, How much does it cost? That's uh, a different thing. And also the problem is, you know, is, is it right to do it? Like, just because you can do it. It's like the Jurassic yes. Park line. They were too too busy yeah, thinking yeah. about whether they, whether they should, could do yeah, it yeah, as yeah. to whether they should. should. No, it's true. But also the thing is about how, how do you keep and retain its authenticity? Because what I then said was, because there was all these ideas about people on, on, you know, super fast cameras jumping on trampolines that made them go really slowly into the air and we looked at all of those tests and and eventually I wanted to go as analog as I possibly could on it because it it was 1970 in my, our world and it had to feel like it happened in that moment with that with as little you know tricks as possible when it had to feel tangible and like you could you could reach out and touch that audience and so we did we created these beams and these bars and these wires and seats and all this kind of stuff and they all literally lift off the ground the first three rows of 40 odd people on hydraulics they they lift off the ground i'm sure it's very uncomfortable for them <laughs> i know it was but but it, it gives it a um an authenticity the kind of in-camera nature of it how they would have done it right which is i mean to go back to eddie the eagle there's an example of uh, a movie and I think I was uh, Vic Armstrong was your action, the legend, yeah, the yeah. legend Vic Armstrong was your action yeah, unit yeah, director yeah. on that. And he talks about, yeah. he talks about, um, you know, the way to do it is to use CGI sparingly. Like if you're going to use it, you know, use it sparingly and yeah. in camera stuff yeah. works. Apparently, uh, he, what did he say to you and Matthew Vaughan on that movie when you were talking about filming? the ski jumps he said i want to film them like car crashes mm-hmm. what 
That, I, I hope none of the stunt people were in earshot because that's like, you want to film it like what? Sorry, because... Yeah, because yeah, I went... No, but I'm fair to some, there was some crazy Austrian stuntmen on that film. And I was like, oh, yeah, we are, yeah we're going to go down to 40. And the I think it's at the bottom. I'll just throw myself. <laughs> and I just... And I can I can go face first. And I'm like... Vic's like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And I'm like, well, okay, these guys are up for it. And they do. They, they just spent the whole day just hammering down those runs. It's and, a different world, isn't it? There's, I have yeah. so much respect for stunt people and like I mean I once spoke to Vic and I said what is what's the most um, dangerous stunt you've ever done like the one that you're most mm. proud of because it was like mm. most difficult and I was sort of expecting something like a massive fall or fire yeah. something involving fire it's the one in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade mm. where he jumps from the horse onto the tank at the end Yeah, and it's kind of like you sort of to watch that as a kid when I first saw it I'm like cool guy jumped mm. off horse onto tank but then now to sort of go back hearing his words and watch it you're like Fucking hell. Yeah. yeah I bet yeah. you're on a live animal that apparently you take your hands off the reins of a horse, it immediately stops. So it's gotta right. keep running. And yeah, you've got yeah. to jump onto a tank. Yeah, yeah. So wow. Yeah, I don't I mean, I think that sequence is one of the most extraordinary sequences uh, you know, in terms of analog stunts that is just done in camera. I mean, look, obviously there's many, many brilliant things, but there's n- I mean, obviously, and it's a, it's the sum of its parts, the editing and everything else that goes into it. But it is incredible. I mean, of course, him going under the truck in the first one is Ugh. is an amazing moment. Yeah. And but he builds on that, you know, and and that's the the amazing thing about Vic Armstrong. Mm-hmm. And he loved Eddie. I mean, he brought a passion to it. I was like, gee, this guy, you know, and he'd been around a bit, and he sort of, you know, got to probably maybe the twilight years of his career. I don't know. He's, you know, I'm sure he's still working. Having said that, but, yeah, it's weird because I think it's because he really loves Eddie the Eagle. Like, yeah. I think he was a big fan, and yeah. I was like, I was like, that sort of came out of left field when I heard that, and then I'm like, do you know what? It, it probably is ski jumping and stunt work probably there is a synchrony there where you're like no wonder yeah. he loves Eddie the Eagle because yeah. like he's like this guy does what I do is just stand at the top of a massive drop and go gonna throw myself okay, off yeah this. okay we go down now where do we go now okay yeah uh, no exactly because when we did we went out and did the recce we went to the place where Eddie trained that's it's all shot in in um Garmish which is where Michael when first trained when he was and um they'd added an extra bigger jump since then but the the little the smaller jumps that he that are in the film are the jumps that Michael learnt on. They're they're, they're the ones, and um, uh, and we all went there together. And I think standing up the top of that big one for the first time, you go, "Oh my word, <laughs> this is insane!" And then we got there, and some kids were training. Some twelve year old kids were training, and they just got and they just took off down there and jumped. And we were there, all there grown men hmm. going, "Oh my god, these kids are just amazing!" What kind of you know, focus and, and courage and madness it took to do it. And it was just so every day for them. And you obviously, I mean, watching you and Taryn in interviews, uh, the relationship that you formed on Eddie the Eagle, yeah. like, that no doubt helped with Rocket Man. Yeah. I yeah, mean, yeah. what was the quote I found? I think Taryn said something like, um, as a director, you make him feel like he can do anything, which has got to be what you want to hear when your leading man is like, I feel like I can do, any, I can do anything on this movie yeah. because of you behind well, the camera. Well, that's, yeah. I mean, that's the aim, but the truth is he can. He can. I mean, I, it's only because I know that he can. He self-doubts or, 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 or whatever, you know, every actor has their process and stuff, but particularly 
Taron is 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 remarkable because he he can do anything that he sets his mind to. And and no, but it is it's very important. I like to hope I hope to you know that I can I can give that to to a lot of actors. I mean, the thing is about me, and it's a very simple part of who I am or my presence is that I do believe in people and their ability to do things. And and I and I also believe that people invariably can't see it themselves hmm. because the people who can. Or think they can. I don't know. You know, it's that whole thing is like, oh, if they were chocolate, they would eat themselves. You know, like, it, that, that becomes like, that's in the way of... Uh, Self-belief. Yeah. It's like where, it's like when it's, that it's tips over line, yeah. into arrogance, it's like you, you, you absolutely need self-belief. Yeah. But if you have too much of it, then you stop listening to people. You're too confident in it. Yeah, and you want you do. Of course, you want a bit of that, and you want to you know fan that flame a little bit. And mm. Like, man, of course you could do it. Would you? You know uh, that absolutely. And then there's other times where it's like, no, you can do this. Mm. And and you want to have both sides of that, and every shade in between that that needs to be applicable. Rather than people going, so I got this man. <laughs> I got it. Dex. Take a break, and then you go. That's take not... a break, Dex. Yeah, <laughs> I, I go, that's, that's really not. That's really. Oh god! Now I've got to tell him. Uh, yeah, interesting. Good choice. Uh, we can, we can, uh, is there another way we could do it? Mm. Is there any yeah, other way? Is there any other way but that way? We might want to have a look at it. Do you think it comes from like working so well with actors? Do you think it comes from? Because I couldn't believe it. Your career. In front of the camera, yeah, has spanned six decades. Yeah, as of as of last year, because you were in I Hate Susie last yes. year. So that I is... just did Dungeons and Dragons as well. Oh, what's that? Dungeons and Dragons is a is a Paramount movie of the classic Hasbro board game. When's that? Dungeons and Dragons. I didn't see that. That wasn't on any of my. No, list. I went and did it the other day as a favour. Oh, there you go. Yeah. What who, 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 who are you playing in it? Marleman, he's called. Marleman. I'm, 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 I'm Michelle Rodriguez's ex-husband. Wow, goody or baddie? Can you say? I think I'm a goody. <laughs> you don't. It's know, hard for no. me to say because I got one scene where she comes and sees me in my little house. I'm, a, I'm, I'm really diminutive. I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I've got a very tall wife. I don't know what she. I, they gave me one scene. I don't know what it's about. <laughs> <laughs> no idea. But they were like, will you come and do this one scene and just be really lovely? So I just went there and I had a big beard. And I, just, I was just, she's amazing. Michelle's amazing. Yeah, she's, she's great. And she's great. She's so she's good. She's great. Oh, that great. sounds interesting. But yeah, no, so anyway, I, I went to that recently. And and yeah, yeah. Because it's, it's, what is it, 1976? Like, that's, that's the big starting point. Which was 76, Bugs, Bugs no. And, and it's before that. I before that I have to get this right because it's because why I'm so getting going to get so hot on this now is Go on. only because it's 50 years next year since The Godfather has its anniversary yeah right and my first work was when I was six years old right and I can't remember which one it was because it's a long time ago mm -hmm. but I did a road safety film with Todd Carty and John Pertwee <laughs> In 1972. Wow. He was Doctor Who at the time. Oh, my Pertwee. God. And that's a very strange little road safety film called Splink. Splink is uh, an anagram of stop, park cars, look, 
listen, it's a very, it's the hard how any kid was expected to remember what it was. <laughs> I'm a 55 year old man. We've got no an idea. eight letter anacronym. Yeah, yeah exactly. And it's, and it's like unknowable what it means, splink. But anyway. <laughs> no, that, that didn't land. That did didn't not land. I'm, no, I'm hearing is, about it for the first time. the Green Cross code man, Dave Prowse. Uh, um, uh, it's either that or there was a film called Steptoe and Sun Rides Again. Right. Which is the second Steptoe and Sun movie. And Diana Dawes is in it in the beginning. And I played one of her five kids in it or something like that. So I was, I was one of her kids. In so it. that makes next year what then in terms of your 50 years? 50 years. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. And so that what I'm angling for, rightly or wrong, is like, it's the Godfather's 50th anniversary <laughs> and it's my 50th anniversary. <laughs> How can I make this all about me? <laughs> stick that on your poster, yeah, Paramount exactly, Plus. Exactly. The Godfather <laughs> and Babyface. <laughs> yeah, because obviously that's... Oh, that's no, everyone know, remembers Babyface. Everyone. Yeah. Just not because it's the best gag in the film as well. It's such a strong yeah. gag. It's a good gag. It's yeah. a great it's gag. Good. It is good. It's good. I mean, it's a good you, intro. It's a really good intro. You don't get intro. many many intros like that in a movie. And, you know, I do I think you you break the fourth wall in there, don't you? Well. I do. You yeah, look, that look, was yeah, that was Parker on the day. He just went, just look at the camera. Just so when, when I go and you say I am babyface, just look at the camera yeah. quickly and I was like everything you're told as a kid is like whatever you do, don't look at the camera. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so I was like, all right, that's not really allowed. So that's why it really sticks in my mind that him saying that to me. Yeah. And then when I watch it, I, there's a brief look where I just look, yeah, break the fourth Have you watched it? I mean, do you watch it? Does I mean, I, I imagine people go, have you watched it a lot? Have you seen it before? What was it, When was the last time you saw it? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I, it's, I you know, I can't help myself. When I meet, you know, kids of friends and stuff like that, you know, mm. it's like we, we were at at lunch with some friends the other day and they've got like a 10 year old kid you know running around and he's my saying he's a very good singer you know he wants he wants to be a singer or an actor and then you know it, it sort of comes up one way or another and um and so yeah i get my phone i show this kid me at nine years old and he's and they're like that's you you know they kind of have to because the, the thing about bugsy is it is a brilliant film Oh, it's a brilliant it, film. It, it was my gateway. It, I don't know yeah. that I'd love possibly like Rocket Man so much, uh, Sunshine <laughs> and Leith. If I because that was my gateway into musicals. Because I was a kid who was like musicals, yeah. no thanks. Yeah, yeah. And then I watched that. I'm like, yes to musicals from yeah, now absolutely. on. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a brilliant standout musical. Mm. And I suppose at the time, you know, Williams wrote it. He was at the top of his game, and he was it was very current. You know, it would have been the equivalent of a pop star writing. Or you know, or a current style writing a musical, whereas singing in the rain and love is the tender trap and American in Paris and Hello Dolly and all of that stuff is all written sort of ten, twenty years before the fact. You know, there would have been stages, uh, films or musicals that would have come up through Broadway and and the more traditional route. Whereas Bugsy, there was no stage show of it. It's the same as Rocket Man. This is why I love the equivalent of is like you know when when they did Bugsy. There was no template for it. it. It all comes out of of what Parker wanted to create and what they did, and and I'm very proud of the fact that's and it's only something I realised halfway through Rocket Man is like, oh, there's no blueprint for this. We're just making it up literally as it goes along. You know, most musicals, even Sunshine and Leith, had a stage show that you could go back and kind of uh, you know give it some context, give it what what's the genesis of this. Whereas we invented a new musical, hmm. and that that was something that. The, the sort of was a light bulb moment for me, and I was like, "Oh, that, I'm really proud of that. Mm. That I'm really proud of, and that, and the, what we what we all did there." 
because obviously Rocket Man. I mean, before <laughs> you committed to doing the offer, and uh, like you mentioned, the Saint was happening, but like everyone yeah. was talking about Sherlock Three. That was, yeah. like, I, I, I guess, that's another casualty of the. Um, that was a casualty of COVID, really. Yeah. That that I mean, look, I spent incredible time with Robert. I mean, he was one of the first to see Rocket, and he just came to me and said, "That's it. You're, I really want you to do this film." And I was like, "I'm having lunch with Robert Downey Jr. So something's going right." <laughs> and he was like, "So, what's it like to be an A-list director?" And I was like, "What did he just say to me? What?" And I was like, "Oh, you know." But I was like, "Fuck, what?" And he was—he knew because he was needling me. He's very smart. He's very funny because I'm sort of there sitting there going, uh, "He's like, no man, that film was amazing." I was like, "All right." So that was that was great, and then uh, yeah, I got to go and spend some time with him, which was really extraordinary, brilliant, mm. super, super generous and great. I mean, the the amount of ideas that come out of him, it's just like overwhelming. Um, not overwhelming. I mean, it was uh, just whelming. Whelming. Yeah, we're just whelming. Just <laughs> incredible. Like this is going to be so. But then yeah, we started going, and and then um, COVID hit, and they were like, look, we're going to stand it down. Robert's got some other thing he wants to do, and rah, 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 rah. I was like, okay, okay, I don't want to. It's again, these things are so big that you don't want to just chisel them into something that yeah. that. And then, and then Paramount, well, well, why are you waiting for that to get? Do you want to do the, the Saints? I was like, okay, yeah, I'll do that. Um, but I, I know that that Robert uh, will not let that fish off the hook. I hope not, because he's so good in that character. It's such a good series. Yeah, yeah. and people people are chomping at the bit. There was a, there was a story that went around just the other day because he was um, doing some Wing Chun with his instructor, and people were like that looks like Sherlock Holmes martial arts. He's training for Sherlock Holmes three. It's back on everyone. Yeah, I I, I can neither confirm nor deny. No, of course these 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 rumors. Um, but. I do have time, uh, that's for sure, in the foreseeable to go and uh, go and uh, That'd be great. do the do the offer. But yeah, I, I mean, I would love that as well. So I'm gonna. That would be exciting for you. I mean, that's a big playpen yeah, for a yeah. director. It is, it is, and I think what I think I'm even I, I'm even more ready for it now. In a way, I think I you know uh, there were there were other other things going on in my own life. You know uh, that that um, after Rocket uh, that that were. Anyway, I think I'm just more prepared now. I think I'm just more ready to go, oh, yeah, I can do these things. I'm ready yeah. to do them more now, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, hey, do you want to – we're shortly running out of time, but do you want to talk about two films that I bet you never get asked about? This is called my little self-indulgent thing, just because I'm a massive fan of genre movies. Like, okay. I like horror, yeah. and you've made two movies. First of all, Doom. Yeah. Um, like, you were in Doom, man, which is like <laughs> – I often say Doom is underrated. Is it? I, well, I, I've not seen it. Have you never seen it? <laughs> you never seen Doom? Not, not all the way through. No. <laughs> yeah, it didn't. It didn't. It didn't get a great response. People often say to me, "Do you understand that underrated and rubbish are two different things, Alex?" Yeah. I'm like, Shut up. A "Very good point." <laughs> I got my memory of Doom is that I was in a wheelchair, right? So I'm a character who's in a wheelchair. That's so right. half my body does not exist, and they've kind of CGI'd my body into a wheelchair That's because correct. I'm someone who's been cut in half by a teleporter from what I remember. That is absolutely right, yeah. You don't forget those things. No, you don't. And so, but what I don't, do remember is that we were on the set, I think it was out in Hungary, and um, I was in a wheelchair, real wheelchair, but um, it was remote controlled by the props man because mm. I had to have my hands free and it, um, it was meant to be part of my body so it would just move and <laughs> roll around as and when and yeah. as I spoke my dialogue and, 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 and there was an issue with 
you know, when I was just resting, I would put my hands on the side of, on the wheels and the, and the CGI guy came to me, the visual effects guy and said, look, um, if you put your hands down there, we have to animate them and hands are really hard to do. So could you not put your hands down? below the, the level of the side of the chair. So there's lots of me, my arms folded. <laughs> yeah, like this. I'm, I don't even know. My arms are folded a lot or I'm kind of talking like this. But generally <laughs> I went for the folded arms because if I put them down here and the, the other part of it was because I wasn't operating the chair, it was operated by a Hungarian props man. I was essentially a prop. <laughs> um, I would say my dialogue and then halfway through I'd go, and I'd just take off across and I'd be trying to speak my dialogue to people as well as I'd shooting off across the other side of the set while I was speaking to Dwayne, the Rock Johnson, and, uh, you know, I'm off, I'm off, getting well. And, uh, because he didn't speak English and he didn't know what the fuck I was saying and the director came up to me and said, don't move until you finish the line. I was like, it's not me you have to tell. I, I'm, I'm with you. I want to say my line here. Please tell the hungry prop man who's who's operating me because I am nothing but a talking prop at this point. So that's my my recollections of Doom. Oh. All right. Well, the other one that I love, uh, which sadly no one saw, and this is this is a good movie. It was yeah. um, uh, David Tui's uh, Submarine Horror oh, yeah. Below, which Below, did, yeah. did no business at the they time. Didn't. But no one was, was interested in Below, which is a shame. It was good. Like, you no, know, they built. They built a, a submarine one third bigger than an actual real interior of a submarine. No, it's great. My great mate Jason Fleming was on it. Oh. Which, so we had a great time there. He once told me a story, and I, I yeah. cannot remember whether he told me it on air or not, so I, can, I can't repeat it, but it was yeah. about his time on the, I'm sure he's told you, on the League of uh, Extraordinary Gentlemen. It's yeah. uh, about uh, Sean Connery on that movie, and I'm like... In the lift. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I can't, it's his story to tell after. It I'm is, like, it is. I'm, look, Jason's the great raconteur. Of the of the of the industry. Now my time on below, yeah, Zach Galifianakis was in it as well. Crazy, it was one yeah. of his first movies, and that was great because we were filming in London. So me and Fleming were kind of still living out, dining out on our lock stock infamy. So we kind of we went out to a few places with them. I remember quite some quite good fun we had in town with Zach. Zach had some very interesting uh, uh, edibles. I, I didn't. I, I'd, I'd long given up any kind of shenanigans like that. But yeah, I remember people getting very high. Um, <laughs> yeah, that Zach was there, and and yeah, my great friend Fleming. There's a couple of others in it as well. Um, but my, my one, it was it was a good job for me because I didn't have much money at that time, and I remember that I had to die in it, and I and I had my leg in a wooden splint. My character had a broken leg, and they bound up my leg with an oar, mm. and so I had my and so I had to hobble around this, this submarine with my leg in a splint and my, my roll neck jumper, and you know I'm trying to escape some some ghosts or whatever it was on the fucking and and there was something that killed me and it and it smacked me in the face and I, I had to fall back through this this uh, submarine doorway, yeah. and uh, and I sort of fell back and my leg with the splint stayed up on the edge of the door like this, because they're like those round doors in the submarine. So it stayed up like that. And, and so my leg was in the back of the shot and they, 
and they came up and, and, and the director said, oh, like your leg's in the back of the shot. And I was like, yeah, well, I couldn't really call it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And it was my last day. And they were, well, we're going to carry on this scene for the next couple of days. So I had to, so I was like, great. So I got a couple of extra days out of it. <laughs> just laying with my leg through the doorway like this. I'm on a splint. It's great. Just had to lay there for a couple more days while they got the rest of the scene. It's great. Because I needed the money. So it was really good. So that's how my wife remembers it. She's like, oh, the one where do you? <laughs> you keep your leg in the frame. Always keep your leg in the frame. <laughs> yeah, that lot, lot so, yeah. stock was. Um, you forget. I mean, there's that great story about how it ended up getting, uh, you know, becoming big in America, where it was truly, truly stylish. Sort of calls yeah. up Tom Cruise and yeah. goes, "Come and sit in the screening room, watch Lock Stock." Yeah. And all the Paramount execs, I think it was Paramount. Was it, um, was it Paramount? Maybe they were basically going. They were umming and ahhing uh, about whether to distribute it there. And then he walks in and goes, "This is the best film I've ever seen. You'd be." Idiots not to buy it, and like, yep. is that right? Yeah, this film rocks. Is what he said right at the end of it. I think he said, "I went, this film rocks." He'd be idiots not to buy. Oh, <laughs> Tom said, "We rocks. We better get it." He was right. It was a good, it's a good film. A great film. Like, great. And and yeah, we did. And then we yeah, we went out to LA after that, and and then. Guy, we were sitting at the Four Seasons Hotel. We were like, yeah, great. And Vinnie Jones is like, Four Seasons, lads. The Four Cheeses Hotel. <laughs> this is Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. <laughs> and then guy goes, I just, got a, I just got a call from Brad Pitt. <laughs> oh yeah, what's going on? He said, he doesn't care what I'm doing next. He wants to be in it. He's like, oh, that's good guy. <laughs> oh, that's all right then, isn't it? That's good. He says, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so no, a lot of great things came out of that, and that yeah, and that's what they were saying to Statham. You're going to be the next Bruce Willis, and Statham was like, I don't know what you're talking about. It's like you're going to you could be an action star. He's like, oh, oh really? <laughs> <laughs> Biggest uh, action star in the world. But yeah, yeah. So it was good times. Mate, it has been a pleasure chatting to you. Um, Likewise. Please come back. Uh, it's just going to be, it's, by the sounds of things, it's going to be a hell of a lot to talk about um, yeah. uh, soon. But um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I will, I will, I'll go to America and I'll, and I'll do what I'm doing over there and then I'll, I'll come back, yeah? Yeah. I'll go, I don't live too far. That's great. And, yeah. um, and good luck with the offer, man. That sounds Cheers. exciting. Well, maybe I'll see you there if you ever get out there. Yeah, that'd be good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know. The Just world's changing. It's coming back. It exactly. feels it feels like the, the the film industry, the TV industry, is waking up after a, a long slumber, yeah. which is exciting. No, and, and and the TV is a really exciting frontier at the moment, in a way, because lots of people are 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 finding a way to make it work. And you have this, you know, sort of I've got ten hour movie to make is how I'm kind of seeing it at the moment. You know, there's a where I, I'm a part of a ten hour thing. You know, I'm, I'm directing four hours out of ten. 
So, and you're, but you're setting the tone, aren't you? It's your, yeah. It's like you're kicking it off. Yeah, yeah, I am, and I get to wrap it up as well. I think so. But that's really exciting, and and you know, I just I just sat down to the first episode of uh, of Fargo last night, hmm. new season of Fargo, and I was like, oh man, TV. Yeah, there's some there's some brilliant brilliant people out there. It's great to be part of it. I bet, hmm. I bet, and it's. I hope there can be a happy medium between people going to the cinema still and and TV existing. I hope TV is for TV, long form storytelling. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then you know we get to we still get our movies at the cinema. And- I, I, I I'm optimistic about that. I mean I you know I don't you don't meet many people going oh yeah I'm not really looking forward to going back to the cinema. That's going to be rubbish. <laughs> I was like I can't wait to go. To the yeah, cinema. of course. You know and and they and they and they're smack, you know they're going to bring out the Bond, isn't it? Was mm. Bond's opening it up? Yeah, November and, or sometime. Yeah, yeah. what other great stuff's coming you know there's loads of great stuff just waiting to yeah get us all back into the theaters so i mean uh, you know it's i've said it before but like you know it's about effort it's about you go to the cinema and you know it's the effort that you put in going and sitting in a dark room uh, to watch a movie getting out of your house makes you value the art um, yeah, yeah, a yeah. bit more which yeah. is specific to film tv can be watched at home long form storytelling telling belongs you know it does, it does. And uh, it's the same thing, you know, it's it's called the theatre. You know, it's the theatre and people go out and see the theatre, you know, and, and it's if there's things that they want to see, that they'll go and they are, they're just different mediums, but there's there's certainly, I think, enthusiasm and passion for all of them. Yeah. You know, and uh, yeah, I, I, I can't, I think if it was going to die a death, it would have done it. That's my optimistic point. That's good. You know, it's had, it's, it, it's so it's, it's there. It survived this, it can survive it seems, anything. Like, exactly, you know. And uh, and I think as long as there's filmmakers still making films to get out there and be films, yeah, we're seen in the theatre mm. in that collective experience. That, that's yeah, it's this model, isn't it? What releasing them on streaming because everyone's you know, like I said, you can have a streaming service now. So pushing these streaming services has become so important that we're getting films that are going to be simultaneously released in the cinema and at home. And it's mm. like, are people going to go to the cinema? And I hope they are because it's you know, it's fundamentally an entirely different experience when you're watching a movie in a dark room mm-hmm. as opposed to. I mean, I've got a, a whippet, so it's got a really kind of tragic face, mm-hmm. and trying to watch a movie when that is looking at you going, I want to walk is. It's like it's very distracting. Of course, you need to get out of the house, get away from that kind of pressure. <laughs> Look, I want to watch the film. I need a whipping looking at. <laughs> That's it. They should put that on all the uh, marketing to get people back exactly. to the cinema. Don't watch this film with a whippet. <laughs> Dex, thank you so much, mate. Anytime, Alex. Thank you, my friend. Hello, Alex Zane here. Thank you for choosing to listen to Just The Facts. And while you can still enjoy these episodes forever, you might want to check out our brand new show, A Trip To The Movies, where each week a different famous film fan curates their perfect night out at the cinema, picking what snacks they'd eat, where they'd sit, who they'd go with, and of course, what movies they'd screen. If you love cinema as much as we do, search A Trip to the Movies with Alex Zane or head to our socials at Trip to Movies Pod. That's at Trip to Movies Pod to find out more.